people trust co-ops. They trust electric co-ops. We've been been around since the mid-30s. I think there was a lot of uh, faith that we, we, we could pull this off and make it as reliable as we made the electric systems. You're listening to Episode 277 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Rural New Mexico has some of the most scenic landscape in the U.S., It also presents some of the most difficult challenges in getting its widely dispersed population connected with high-quality connectivity. The Kit Carson Electric Cooperative is changing the situation in the north-central area of the state. For several years now, they've been connecting people in the region with fiber to the home, improving connectivity for residents, businesses, and local entities. This week, we hear more about the project from Luis Reyes, CEO of Kit Carson, who gives us a history of the project and how high-quality Internet access is benefiting the region. Now here's Christopher and Luis. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today, I'm speaking with Luis Reyes, the CEO of Kit Carson Electric Cooperative. Welcome to the show, Luis. Thanks, Chris. I'm happy to talk to you. Well, I'm excited to talk to you as well. We've we've been covering a lot of the electric cooperatives getting into fiber networks. Uh, you've been doing this longer than many. Uh, we've interviewed a few others, but I think this is incredibly important for rural America. Um, maybe start by telling us a little bit about Kit Carson. Where are you located and, and what's the, the geography around your area? So, uh, Chris, Kit Carson is located in north central New Mexico. Uh, Taos kind of being the center of our system. Uh, we sit right in the middle of a uh, mountain range of Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which is a spur of the Rocky Mountains. It's so beautiful. I've been up in I've been up in that area a little bit up in Colorado, where the Great Sand Dunes National Park is. It's those are wonderful mountains. It, you know it is, and uh, you've caught us at the beginning. Uh, I guess a, a fall and our first snow. So uh, you know Taos sits at about. 7,000 feet, and we, we uh, rise up to 13,000, have the highest peaks in New Mexico here. And so we have very mountainous territory. We do go out into some plains, but it's it's really a high desert. Kit Carson also has about 30,000 members and uh, operates about 2,900 miles of both electric and fiber lines today. And how was the internet access before you started for most of your ratepayer members? You know, prior to Kit Carson getting into uh, into broadband, very, very spotty. You know, you had certain areas that had access, but it was really DSL access. Fastest speeds you could probably get in house unless you were a business it was probably three megabits, if that. Out in the rural areas, there there are people who didn't have access to uh, to any internet or broadband services unless there was a wireless or satellite solution. So it was one thing that was really keeping, I think, the community behind in a lot of aspects until, you know, our membership decided that Kit Carson should fully get into a a broadband company and offer very fast speeds. Well, and when you decided to do that, you were blessed with one of the the rare fiber to the home, um, both combination grant and loans from the stimulus projects uh, to expand broadband. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you decided to go into that and and what happened there. So since about 2000, Kit Carson uh, has been a fixed wireless broadband uh, company. So we did offer some fixed wireless products to certain areas and Probably the mid-2000s, we started to install fiber 
on our electric lines uh, in concert with with the uh, building electric mm-hmm. facilities, that got us probably 100 miles uh, of fiber. When the uh, stimulus came aboard, we actually tried, Chris, uh, three different times to build a fiber network that would first enable uh, better services or more services for our electric infrastructure. Uh, and, and really, broadband was kind of going to be a byproduct. At the end, uh, we, we lost two rounds, and then at the end, our third round, we actually won a $64 million award. Uh, 44 was a grant. 19 uh, was, a, uh, was a loan to build out a fiber to the home network. Uh, which we did. So we've built out about 2,500 miles of backbone or transmission, and we have about 7,000 drops of fiber to the home, and we continue to build that. A lot of this was just based on the membership wanting us to get into high-speed services and offer uh, opportunities that they weren't getting uh, with the current uh, providers in the area. When I talk to um, electric utilities that are getting into some of the fiber networks, one of the things I sometimes get a sense of is that this is so much more important than just broadband or that broadband is so much more important than people realize for an electric utility because, as I understand it, you're in a rural service territory. If you're seeing declining demand on the electric side and increasing mandates to do new investment in generation for uh, renewable or or other kinds of requirements, um, that can really put you in a difficult position. So I'm I'm curious to what extent the, the building the broadband network was in some ways an existential question for the utility as a whole. If you look forward, I do think that electric and communication networks are already uh, kind of being intertwined. And I think moving forward with uh, some of the issues that you brought up, we have declining energy sales. We have uh, people that are putting, our members putting generation resources behind the meter, whether it's solar panels on the roof, uh, little wind turbines. Uh, With us putting our own solar fleet, we're going to have to create what was conventionally a one-way highway, electricity, you know, we get it and we deliver it to a home, to really a two-way communication to be able to uh, uh, accommodate those members who want to sell energy to us and be able to manage that. We also, and, and we have to manage that real time because electricity, uh, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of on-the-spot usage. There's going to be storage in the future but we, we're not thinking that way. Everything with electricity is real-time and two-way. I, I also think that electric co-ops or utilities are going to morph into more service-based uh, organizations in which we can have better control of water heaters, thermostats, water pumps, stuff that we do now that we probably will have to do real-time going forward. The fiber network is going to enable us to communicate with any device, uh, with the member, and make decisions on which is the best way to handle the electricity uh, that day. With the advent of us putting solar arrays, uh, you know, we have a plan to become 100% solar by 2022. We're going to have to manage probably 35 different arrays real time to determine what's the best use of those arrays uh, on that given day. And then as we integrate uh, battery storage and just general uh, operations of the electric utility, Knowing where the outages are, uh, you know, getting there sooner is going to require two-way communications. 
So, so it's it's actually as much a uh, putting fibers as much a function of optimizing our electric grid and giving our members options for power supply. It's as important as uh, getting bandwidth and getting broadband to the home. One of the things that we've seen in a lot of these co-op territories is declining population. And I'm curious, building the broadband network, are you seeing a change in terms of, of people where you're seeing either population growth or stabilization? We do see it stabilizing because now we have some true broadband speeds. I mean, our system is capable of symmetrical speeds. Uh, give you an example, Chris. Our basic package is 40 up, 40 down, and 100, 100 for businesses. So it's, and, and it's scalable. So there's not an issue... Uh, with speeds. So what we see is a lot of home businesses now starting to to uh, to thrive. Uh, graphic designers that can live here in kind of a, a beautiful rural setting, but they send their work uh, to the coasts. Uh, we see a lot of day traders uh, because of the bandwidth being able to work from home. Uh, so we see a, 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 a stabilization. People aren't leaving. There's actually been about a half percent growth in the last couple of years of population, we've seen more home businesses starting to operate that are that need uh, a connection, a, a broadband connection, and we are getting more inquiries on small startups that are broadband based that would like to set up a small four to eight person business here because of the quality of life, but send their work uh, you know out of state. So we have started to see some of the benefits of having a, a robust broadband connection that passes every home and business we serve. You mentioned that your membership was enthusiastic about, about taking this on, and, and obviously you had experience with the wireless and doing some of the fiber yourself before you decided to go to every home. I'm curious, how has the reception been now that people actually have the option to taking service? Uh, what kind of take rate are you seeing? So we have about a 70% take rate. Our, our biggest issue now is we aren't able to hook up people fast enough. Uh, we have about 7,000 drops, probably 6,500 connected. We probably have another 65 to 7,000 on a waiting list. It really has been one of those things where we thought we were going to be successful by saying we're going to hit 45% penetration, offer these great services. Uh, we've missed that mark uh, almost by, by half. And so that's been our biggest uh, obstacle is uh, hooking up people fast enough. And what really has, I guess, helped is first, people uh, trust co-ops. They trust electric co-ops. We've been, been around since the mid-30s, and so we're reliable. We, we got that same type of reception uh, when we went to telecom, as I think there was a lot of, uh, a lot of faith that we, we, we could pull this off and make it as reliable as we made the electric systems. You know, it ends up word of mouth, Chris. Uh, your neighbor gets it. All of a sudden, it, it can be as simple as I get Netflix and it's not streaming. The neighbor calls us and says, I want what my neighbor has. And so it really has uh, been an explosive uh, business. Yeah, that's something that, that I've seen as well. It's almost viral um, in terms of how it, it spreads. And, and we, of course, saw that with electricity as well. When the co-ops were being uh, created, people had trouble visualizing it until they saw it. And then they recognized how important it was. Now, one of the things you said about the challenge of, of hooking people up really resonates. And let me 
paint a little picture based on uh, interviews I've done with other folks, uh, both municipal networks um, and private companies. Um, the challenge of hooking people up is often one of managing the installers. And one of the things I've seen is that it's hard to attract high quality people that are going to be representing your business, your, your cooperative, and they're going to people's homes and they're signing them up. And there's just a lot of management challenges around that and getting the right people and keeping them on, getting rid of the people that are not as good at it. Um, do you have any lessons learned or things that you've adjusted in the course of trying to manage that? I, I, I think one of the lessons learned, and I guess maybe it comes from the perspective of electric is not really a competitive market. And we train our linemen. And since we're the only show in town, there's longevity with our linemen. Where we're in a competitive market on the telecom side, the broadband side, I mean, we still have competitors like the incumbent carriers and other uh, Wi-Fi companies. And so once we train someone, you have to make sure they're, we compensate them and take care of them so they don't jump to the other company. Uh, that, that's one of the lessons learned is making sure that we get people that just aren't capable but actually have some loyalty. And then we, we as a company, Make sure we have the incentives for them to 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 stay. The other thing that we learned is once we get into a home, the customer, the member, expects us to basically fix almost everything that is connectable. <laughs> so you you, right. you you know you set some yeah you set some time to say okay I'm going to get your router going, I'm going to get your broadband going, and I'm out the door. And uh, you know an hour later they wanted a couple of TVs and they want the iPad to be hooked up. Uh, we're learning how to address those type of issues. And that goes to time management because all that happens then, Chris, is now we're an hour late to the next appointment. And then you compound that by we probably have 10 to 12 crews out every single day. You just end up having a backlog by trying to do too much customer service. So really, it's trying to find that balance of what we should be doing for the customer and then what someone else should be, or how do we educate customers that that's kind of not what we want to do, uh, and here's another firm that can do that for you. So I, I think those are the major things that, that, that we have uh, uh, learned. I, I think the other thing that, uh, that I've learned more maybe from a per, uh, personal basis, running both in electric and uh, broadband, is I always thought that electric was king, right? If you lost electricity, kind of the world stops. Uh, that's not true. Uh, if you lose electricity, I think there's a perception from our members that we'll fix that. You know, we'll, it may take time, but the co-op will put crews out and we'll fix it. If you lose your broadband, it's kind of the end of the world, right? It's You can't do without your, your router working. You can't do without getting to the internet. So it's made us change our mindset of how do we properly serve our members to make sure that their expectations of having basically the five nines of broadband can be accomplished. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. I mean, I'm trying to think through that psychologically. I've I've run into this a little bit with some of the utilities up in Washington State, where after a major fire, they were talking to people and saying, you know, it's going to take us a week or two to get your electricity back up. And people were saying, yeah, 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 whatever. When are you going to get my fiber back up? I suspect those people running on generators or some of their own um, solar, because, of course, 
without electricity, you do not have uh, the ability to use a lot of devices. Uh, but I suspect that, you know, when the fiber goes out and your electricity is still on, you're like, oh, well, I could use the TV, but it's not working. And you, so your your life continues more normally, perhaps. Um, and you just have a different psychological reaction to it. Exactly. And I think what's happened is we're, we're so used now to have cut the cord and being connected. One of the big... Or one of the big drivers for ski areas now, resorts, is connectivity. So we serve four ski areas. We meet with them. You'd think that one of their big, biggest drivers was reliable electricity. Well, they have backup generators and that kind of uh, the stuff. At the end, the, the, when they do surveys, the biggest issue the guests want is to be connected. And I don't know if you've ever watched people at a resort or coming off the ski areas doing the selfies as they're coming down a hill. But that's become kind of the norm. Mm-hmm. Con- connectivity and then fast connectivity, because people we're kind of in that uh, uh, Snapchat, Facebook era that, you know, the minute you, you snap the picture or a selfie, you need to post it and you need a connection. So the so your friends in the rest of the world really are seeing how much fun you have. And I, I think that's the kind of mindset now as a fiber provider we have to get into is people are expecting just not fast speeds, but fast reactions to the devices that are connected to the internet so that the world can kind of enjoy what they're, what they're living at that moment. Right. You can have backup electricity, but you, you can't have backup internets yet. <laughs> exactly. You hit it right. We'll persevere if the electricity goes out for a couple hours. But, you know, when, and you can notice that when someone can get a signal on a cell phone, and that's important because we have fiber going to cell towers to get these 4G services, so you do need fiber, uh, people really don't know what to do without being connected to their phone. They'll move around looking for a signal. So, so it is actually pretty interesting to just watch people and, and how fast internet has changed basically their behavior also. One of the hopes that I think we have in terms of expanding high-quality rural access isn't just co-ops like yours that have done it yourself, but the ability to expand and and help other co-ops. It looks like you're starting to work with Continental Divide Electric Cooperative to help them expand. I'm I'm sure that improves your business case, so it's kind of a win-win. What's going on there? Rural areas generally aren't very unique from each other in the sense that they generally lack the same type of services. So as we got into it, uh, the community of, of Grants, New Mexico, or Continental Divide is located probably about 200 miles from Taos. Uh, their members desired the same type of speeds that uh, we were getting, and they liked the cooperative model where they had a say. So we worked out a deal with uh, Continental Divide where we're using our head end, our design, and replicating it uh, with the uh, help of their engineers in Continental Divide. So we, we collect all the traffic. We help them with design, material construction to enable their community to get high speed. So you have co-ops helping co-ops, enabling rural customers to get high speed. Our first customer, or Continental's first customer in that area, was the local bank that needed basically redundant feeds. So the bank had a primary feed and wanted a secondary high speed. Uh, we've been successful in making Continental's the primary speed and the incumbent the secondary. Kind of realizing the same issues we have is through word of mouth, now they have uh, a waiting list of people who want to be connected. And, and Chris, for the basic same reasons, uh, 
it's just not entertainment. It's uh, for economic development. It's to support any broadband-based businesses. As simple as getting a credit card, you know, credit card machine. They're working with the local schools. So it, it actually has been probably one of the more gratifying projects we've done because uh, what we set out to do initially is create a model that could be replicated at other co-ops and other rural communities. And that started to happen with a co-op that's about 200 miles from us. Well, let me ask you as a closing question, have you had any incredible reactions uh, from any of your members in terms of how excited they are or how this has changed their lives that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I mean, we, we've had people that uh, that really had moved to Taos for the quality of life and were professionals. So I mentioned earlier graphic designers that actually lived at the base of the wilderness and were about to leave and go back to Los Angeles where it was uh, heavy populated, a lot of smog, and you were basically a number. We made them our first customer, and they've been able now to get that quality of life they wanted, right? They, they work in the morning. They do their graphic design. They hike in the afternoon, and they become big advocates. Uh, another kind of feel-good story is we have a branch of uh, SMU University here in, in, in the mountains that did a lot of archaeology, and their enrollment was decreasing because they didn't have the bandwidth to be able to talk to the Dallas campus. Once we introduced our uh, product to them, they were able to use iPads so that the students could then show their, their uh, professors or TAs in uh, Dallas some of the pottery and uh, artifacts they found. Since then, it's increased both the offerings SMU can make plus the, uh, the enrollment. So it really has had a profound impact on those people who need it either for business or education so far. And we think that's just going to continue to grow because at the end, a lot of people live in rural areas for the quality of life. And I think it's the co-op's mission to be able to enhance that through the products we serve. So I actually, I just came up with one additional question that I want to ask you because you have experience with fixed wireless. Um, you know, in, in the Midwest and in the Appalachians, one of the challenges with fixed wireless is there's a lot of trees in the way. I, I don't know if that's one of the issues you have, but one of the ongoing problems we have is I think too many people don't understand that we can do high quality fiber networks in rural America. Um, people want to settle often for a wireless solution. Um, do you have any advice for people that are trying to weigh uh, fiber versus wireless for last mile in rural areas? Well, you know, I, I think at the end, if you have your preference, hardline, hardwire fiber is going to be the most flexible today and going in the future because it's so scalable. Uh, we have fixed wireless, and you do have the issues with trees. You have the dis uh, the issues with distance. And then you have the issue with access points. Once you kind of saturate an access point, all the speeds start to diminish. So when you have a fiber network, you know, we can offer gig services to every single one of our 30,000 customers and really not uh, push our head end uh, that much. And so if you're looking out to the future, and thinking that we certainly are going to be in the Internet of Things at the residential level, then finding a fiber solution is going to be the best investment long term. And especially for, for co-ops or utilities, is you can, you can run the fiber within the electric line along the same rights of way. So there's not a, an additional cost. You're kind of optimizing your investment by using the same structures. 
that's what we see and that's what we'd advise is uh, fiber is going to be here for a lot longer than uh, radios. You know, all that's happened with radios is it's kind of like the laptop. In a year, the next best model comes up, and then you're wondering, should I change them up because people want uh, better speeds? With a fiber network, all you do is kind of just we turn up the dial and you get the fast speeds. Those are some great examples of, of what people should be thinking about. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about your, your network, your approach? Uh, you know, I, I think the, the, the most important thing with our approach is we did get buy-in from our community. I think in general, people want better services, uh, better con- connectivity. And I think most people understand the world is changing and you, you have to have that kind of robust network. But in getting buy-in from the community, both the residential, the elected officials, and the private sector, it really helped us uh, promote these products as a truly local product. And so you had a lot of member buy-in and very, very little pushback of what we're trying to do. And and so I really do think that's one of the common threads that ties in, you know, we serve, Chris, about 29 different communities, including two, two Indian tribes. Fiber has kind of made the common thread that has tied really the community together. And so I think that's the one thing I would advise is uh, make sure you get buy-in from the community you serve. Well, that's a wonderful way to end the show. It's a, it's a very good reminder that people need to take to heart. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Chris, I appreciate it, and you have a great day. That was Christopher talking with Luis Reyes, CEO of Kit Carson Electric Cooperative. They were discussing the Rural Cooperative's project to bring high-quality connectivity to their service area. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. You can follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. We want to thank Arnie Husby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons, and we want to thank you for listening to episode 277 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs> <laughs>